Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. I want to talk to you about some awkward stories in the Bible. That's the whole point of this series is that there are some things you read and you say, wait, what? What? What did that just say? And there's really two ways we respond to that. The first way is we say, you know what? I don't understand this, so I'm just going to withdraw. Sometimes if you come across something awkward, you don't get it. You take a step back. You kind of run from it. You turn. You're like, I don't want to deal with that. The other group is if we don't understand something and it's awkward, we, we kind of put our own understanding onto it. We say, I'm in this cultural moment. This is what my society is. This is what my generation thinks. So I'm going to throw it on there. And sometimes we get mad at God. We say, God shouldn't do that. I don't understand that. And because I don't understand it, I'm going to act a little afraid. And you know what? I'm going to push back. I'm going to say, the Bible's nonsense. It's all a bunch of garbage. These, this is how most of us respond to the awkward. And I want to challenge you this series to not run away from the awkward, but to embrace the awkward. To look at it right in the face and say, hey, let's stop. Let's not make quick judgments. Let's dig in. Let's look at the words. Let's figure out what God is trying to say through this passage, through this teaching. There's some awkward stories, though. And if God's history with humankind has been for thousands of years, and he's interacted with billions and billions of people, there's bound to be some awkward stories. Am I right? Everyone has an awkward story with an animal. Have we got any dog lovers, dog owners in the house? You each could tell me a story, some awkward your dog did. I can't believe he did that. She does this. There's this like thing with animals, and we're talking about animals today. That's why I'm bringing this up. But our creative director, Weston, he was in the video awkwardly flirting. You know, you saw him up there. He also works at a paddleboard company. And he claims something really awkward. He claims that one night he was out paddleboarding alone, of course, that's how, these all, that's how they always start. And a sea turtle swam by. Now, that's not awkward. The awkward thing is he claims that the sea turtle had a crab riding on its back. And he also claims that the sea turtle was wearing sunglasses. I made that part up. That's not part of the story. But he will hold to it. He's in the back. You go ask him. He says, the sea turtle ran by and the crab was on its back. And I don't believe him. I don't know what he was sipping, if he was sipping a Mike's hard or what. But he's out there by himself. And this awkward thing happened. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but everyone today is a photographer. Everyone is, everyone's into photography. Someone in London captured this. This is weird. This is awkward. This is a weasel riding a woodpecker. Look at this. This is not photoshopped. Now, what we think happened is the weasel was like a tat. Look at the woodpecker. He's like, ah! Um, it, it, the, it was the perfect timing. We think the weasel like pounced on the woodpecker, um, but it looks like he's going for a ride. He's looking, it looks like he's going for a ride. This is even weirder. This is more awkward. This is an octopus on a a dolphin or a whale, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's like, what? What is happening? What is going on here? We're talking about an awkward story today. And I've said it probably a dozen times this week. I've said, I can't believe I'm preaching on this. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I can't believe he's preaching on this. I'm just trying to get you ready for some crazy that's about to happen. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the text. Father God, I ask you to meet us in the awkward. God, thank you for not being afraid to present us with awkward situations. God, we're, we're the ones who are afraid. We're the ones who run or jump to quick judgments with people, with you, with your word. That's what we do. God, help limit our knee-jerk reactions. Help us look at your word for what it is, and God, just teach us something today. Help us learn something here in your midst. We love you, God. In your son's good name we pray. Amen. 
This is awkward story number one. I've written weeks two and three, and I finished them, and I actually said, these are actually pretty good. You've probably never written a sermon and said that. You've probably never written a sermon, but I'm actually really excited about this series. I think it's going to be a really good one. Um, It's amazing how God does work through the awkward. This one is about a guy named Elisha. Say Elisha. Elisha was a prophet, not to be confused with Elijah. He was another prophet. Elijah was first, and he passed the mantle on to Elisha, two different individuals. Follow along with me. Second Kings, this is 2, 23 through 25. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy. They said, get out of here, Baldy. He turned around like this. Slow turn. Looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Awkward. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Somebody say awkward. Awkward. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Somebody say, I can't believe he's preaching on this. I met so many. Every time I do a weird sermon, there's like 80 new people. I talked to everyone I talked to today. They were like, it's my first time here. I'm thinking, oh no. Oh no. The AC's out. And it's a weird kind of series. So I'm, I want to ask you, if you're new, which is about the, this group of people, I, I want to, please give us a second chance. <laughs> please give us a second chance. But could you imagine how awkward it would be if you're living life, if you're just talking and a bear showed up? Could you imagine if you were just living life and a bear came out of nowhere, just walked on up out of the blue, you're trying to do your job. You're trying to go to work. <laughs> There. There. Awkward. Could you imagine how hot, how hot he is? He's hot. He's, he's, it's awkward. It's an awkward story. It's, it's so awkward. Oh, it's the awkward bear. But this, this, what, what, ha- what you read is exactly what you thought you read. There was a prophet going up to its city called Bethel. Some boys made fun of him. They called him Baldy twice. And he pronounced a curse upon them. And then these bears came out of the woods and attacked them. And there's just so many weird details. Like it says 42. Why 42? There's no significance to that number. Like was he counting? Eight, nine, 10. Gotcha, good 11, 12. It's just such a weird, weird story. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. This is the first verse. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. Bethel, let me tell you about it, was one of these um, cities in the northern kingdom of Israel. It was an idolatrous city. A lot of pagan temples. It was popular because people would go there to worship foreign gods. And they loved it because people would come, they would spend money, they would stay. So economically, it was really good for Bethel. Bethel loved it. They said, come on up, spend your money, worship wherever you want. The people absolutely loved it. It was a very prosperous city. And Elisha was coming essentially to shut things down. You see, Elisha was a prophet. And a prophet's job was to enforce God's teaching, to kind of enforce the covenant that they were a part of. Somebody say the enforcer. I think he was, if he was in the ring, he would have been the enforcer, okay? Elisha, the enforcer. That's his job. That's what he did. And before we go on, I got to teach you some theology. Are, are we okay with like a two-minute nerd chat just for a little bit? Okay, that's going to get a little nerdy. Forgive me. But in the Bible, here's what I'm trying to prevent. I'm trying to prevent you from opening it, picking a verse, and throwing it in someone's face. Has that ever happened to you? And for of everyone who just said yes, 
how many of you, it was something negative? That's what people do. That's absolutely what people do. Christians love to do that. I don't know why. When you're reading something in scripture, you have to look at the context. Somebody say context. You got to look at who said it, who they were saying it to, why it was being said. You have to look at, this is a big word, at the covenant. Somebody say covenant. A covenant is a deal. It's an agreement. It's a handshake. And there's two types of covenants in the Bible. There's an unconditional covenant and a conditional one. An unconditional covenant is what it says, unconditional. No conditions, no strings attached. It's more of a promise. So if you're a first-time guest and you, and you go get that card and you take it to American Brew, you will get a free coffee, unconditional. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to pay for this and that. No, it's unconditional. It's a gift. The other kind is a conditional covenant, meaning there are terms and conditions. You know those things when you download an app, when you're looking at a website, it's like eight pages of, do you agree to this? You don't read it, you scan it. You're like, yeah, yeah, I agree to the terms, whatever. You know, those are conditions. Those are conditions. Who's ever bought a house? Okay, if you've bought a house, you've looked at the contract, you've seen all the conditions. All the, it's so much stuff. It's so much stuff. If this happens, then this. If this happens, then that. And there are good parts of that contract and bad, just like in scripture. With a conditional covenant, there are blessings and curses. Meaning this, in a conditional covenant, God said, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you don't, if you don't do this, I will curse you. And it's not because he's a mean God. It, it's because our actions have consequences. He says, if you follow me, if you do this and that, I'm gonna bless you. If you don't, if you hurt children, If you're racist, if you're rude to foreigners, if you do this and that and all this stuff, then yeah, there will be consequences. It's called a curse. That's what scripture says. Now, we don't believe we're in a conditional covenant, but these folks were in the midst of one. And Elisha's trying to do his job, trying to adhere people to the covenant. He's putting himself out there. He just became this big prophet. He's putting himself to the test. And some of you, just like Elisha, you're on the cusp. You're right on the brink, about to experience a breakthrough in your faith, about to get to know God in a more intimate way than you ever have before. But in order to do so, you've got to go to a new place. You've got to go to a dangerous place. You've got to go to a risky place. That's what Elisha's doing. He's going up to Bethel. He's going up to Bethel. When I say putting yourself out there, I mean, some of you need to start giving financially. Some of you need to start serving in some capacity, either here or maybe with 99 for the one or internationally, you need to start serving. Some of you need to put yourself out there and join a group. Some of you need to put yourself out there by inviting and bringing friends, maybe starting a Bible plan. Some of you are on the cusp. You just need to take a step. And I came to tell you this. I came to tell you, when you don't ignore the difficulties of life, but when you face them head on, God will show up in surprising ways. He will show up in ways you might not expect. He might send some bears. As weird as it sounds, he might send some bears. But notice what Elisha's doing. He's stepping out in faith. That's what he's doing. And that's what we are doing with the series. We're not going to teach on the easy, mamby-pamby, these are feel good. We're going to look at verses where we say, what on earth God is going on? What is happening here? You need to realize this. Each of you have something in your life that would be easier to ignore. That would be easier to avoid. That would be easier to just leave it alone and ignore it. That's your Bethel. That's your Bethel. And nine times out of 10, that's the place you need to be. That's where God is calling you to go. That's where God is calling you to grow. It's at your Bethel. It's at your Bethel. I want you to turn your neighbor, say, what's your Bethel? Turn your other neighbor, your least popular one, the second pick, ask them, what's your Bethel? What's your Bethel? 
Is it awkward? My bad. I'm, I'm just saying, what's your Bethel? Is it changing jobs? Is it taking a step for God? Is it finally breaking up with doofus? I mean, that guy you've been dating for a long time that you know you shouldn't be with. And all your girls say he's, he's bad news. And you're like, ah, oh, it's fine. What's your Bethel? What's your Bethel? Your Bethel is the place you don't want to go, but God's calling you to go. It requires some risk. It requires you stepping out. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy! They said, get out of here, Baldy. What on earth is going on? Okay, when you hear boys, you may think like eight years old. No, no, these are like between 12 and 30-year-olds. We don't know. The term is vague, but everywhere else we see that phrase in Scripture. It means usually a teenager or above, usually. So that's probably what is going on here. Elisha was 25 at this time. Um, I was like 24 when the story is about to happen that I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell you. Um, because one time I got in the face of some kids. Did y'all know that? Y'all want to hear about it? I was on my honeymoon. I'd been married like four days, Jeremiah, four days. All right. And we were in this little beach town and we were on our little beach bikes and we went to the market and we got some fish and some veggies and we were going to go home and grill them. And we were riding our little bike back home. That's how I ride a bike. I'm not very good at it. I apologize. We're riding our bike home and I see some, some kids, some like little teenagers out at the end of their driveway. And I was a boy once, and I know when boys are about to be up to no good. You know what I'm saying? You know that look. They look around, they look at you. And so I ride by on my bike, and they don't say a word. It's summertime. Sun's out, gun's out. They're not going to step on my toes, okay? Then my wife follows me right on. My wife of four days, okay, is right behind me. And I heard them kind of mumble something and giggle. And we pulled up another house, and I stopped. I said, honey, what, what did they just say to you? She said, oh, it's not a big deal. I said, what did they just say. <laughs> and they said, hey, stupid girl, you got a stupid face. <laughs> not today, Junior. Not on my watch. Not on my honeymoon. So I turned the bike right back, and I had a little swagger to my step going to confront these 12-year-old boys. And I rolled up, and I'm mad as a snake. I rolled up, and you know what they did? They just scattered. All right, by one, you always just lock on to one and follow him, okay? One ran up to the house and his dad happened to be coming out. His poor dad, his poor dad comes out of the house and there's this like furious just man in his yard, just like I'm like huffing and puffing. And the dad said, sir, is everything okay? I said, it's not. I said, your son just insulted my wife and I'm not leaving until he apologizes. And the, the dad looks at me and he looks at the kid and the kid looks at me and the kid looks at the dad and the kid looks right at me and says, just crying like a baby. And I said, you know what? That's all I needed. I said, I'm good. I said, you need to teach him when he stops crying. You don't talk to anyone like that, especially you don't talk to a lady like that. Okay. You understand me? And we went on home. Okay. And we avoided that house for the rest of the vacation. Um, the point is some people will talk some smack. Some people will talk some smack. And when it comes to being bald among the Romans and Israelites, it was seen as not cool, okay? It was seen as like Jinko jean shorts. You remember those? <laughs> Lord, some of y'all weren't alive, baby. Some of you weren't alive. I see some fingers getting pointed. Does, does anyone have on the, is, is someone wearing them now? I'm just kidding. Um, being bald was like braided belts. <laughs> the dad belt. It was like this haircut. I mean, if you got the mullet, own it. Like, look how fierce this dude is. 
All right, or the bowl cut. <laughs> right? Um, the point is, it was not a cool thing. And they're talking smack, running their mouth. But the reality is, ladies love bald men. They do. Have you seen The Rock? Have you seen Jason Statham? Where is he? I mean, okay, short hair, bald head, whatever. L- ladies, ladies love him. The, the, the point, this is a weird point. Uh, Jeremiah, you're bald, aren't you? Stand up. Show us your head. Come on. Yes. There you go. Perfect 10. Yeah, he's married too. Congratulations. Ladies love bald men. Am I right? That's right. Rachel's so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. The whole point is this. I'm asking you this. Have you ever had someone mock you about something? Did you know what they were mocking you about wasn't actually what they were saying? Like they weren't mocking him because he was bald. They were mocking him because he was a prophet. They were mocking him because he was coming to their town to turn down the altars and run everything off. They weren't mocking him because he was bald, but that was easier to do. Someone's mocking you and it actually got to you. Someone was making fun of your car, but deep down they're they're nervous you're going to steal their thunder at work. Someone has mocked your parenting style, but they're not really concerned about that. Deep down, they're insecure about something else, and they're just projecting it on you. That's what we do. That's what we do. And Elisha, it didn't didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. 24, he turned around. He looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Now, you need to know this. Curse isn't a curse word. He's not driving down the road. Someone cuts him off. He gives him the finger. And then they swerve in their car and then a, you know, a, a tree falls in their car and he's like, gotcha. That's not what's happening. These people had signed and said, hey, God, we agree to this. They had bought the house. They had said, hey, we agree to this. Meaning if I pay, I get the house. If I don't think things would happen. He's saying, look, you've broken the rules. You've broken the laws. And he said, look, the consequences are curses. That's what they are. Notice Elisha didn't call bears. He didn't say, hey, bears, come on. He didn't do that. He cursed them on the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, he turned to God and he let God decide the consequence. Some of y'all need to do that. Some of y'all take the, take the judgment in your own hands, right on? You say, I'm going to show them. It's always on the internet. I'm going to fire back at them. I'm going to type up this long thing. I'm going to delete it six times. That's what I really meant to say, sent. When someone sends me an angry email, I can tell it's been worked on for like three days. I can just tell. It's way too finessed and researched, right on? Let God handle that stuff, y'all. Just give it to him. Turn it to him. He did it in the name of the Lord. He didn't do it by his own might. But you need to realize it was a conditional covenant. They broke it and there were consequences. Just like you have consequences for texting and driving or for speeding or for not paying your mortgage, there's consequences. And we can't get mad. We may not agree with it, but we can't get mad if someone takes your house away if you never pay the bill. You can't get frustrated at that. That's how it goes. Then the unexpected happens, guys. They were probably Syrian brown bears which today can grow up to 550 pounds each. I don't know how big they were thousands of years ago, but these bears come out of the blue and they go to work. The most unconventional method possible worked. Did you know God works through the unconventional? It's like God's trying to tell us something. He's like, he's trying to say, hey girls, hey boys, hey men and women, I work through the unconventional. You can't peg me. And we're still kind of shocked when he does it, but we can't get him pegged. He works through the unconventional. Have you heard of 99 for the one? It's a mobile homeless ministry. We love them. They're amazing. It's unconventional. Hey, let's put a bunch of clothes and a barber shop in the back of like this food truck looking thing. And let's put some stuff on bikes and go reach out to the homeless. That's an unconventional idea. But God's working through it. 
God's moving through it. You know what else is unconventional? Church in a middle school. I don't see a, I don't see a steeple, but this is where God has placed us. And as long as we're here, we're going to do what he's called us to do. You know what else is unconventional? He brought together people in the military and teachers and real estate agents and professors and janitors all together for the purpose of reaching this city through this church. That's why we're here. It's unconventional. If you look around of people in this room, this is probably the only place you'd hang out with one another. You'd be like, I, well, yeah, this is not my normal hangout, but we're a church and God works through the unconventional. In regard to the bears, one more question. Do you rely on God's strength or your own? When it comes to trouble, when it comes to grinding it out, especially the men, do you rely on God's strength or your own? Elisha probably had a weapon. They didn't really travel single-handed. He probably had a sword or a knife or something. He could have, he could have threatened. He could have got loud, but he didn't do that. Do you call on God and wait for the bears to show up? Or do you force things? Are you a forcer? with your relationships, with financial moves, with things you want to happen the way you want them to happen? Do you just force them or do you wait for God to show up? I'm gonna, this is a weird thing to tell you, but I'm going to tell you to call on the name of the Lord and then wait for the bears. Call on his name and wait for the bears. And notice Elijah didn't say God sent some bears. He said, God, I need you. I'm trying to get up this place. You're calling me up here, meaning this. God, you're calling me to parent. Something's blocking my way. God, you're calling me to get out of debt. Something's blocking my way. God, you're calling me to change career paths. Something's blocking my way. Call upon the name of the Lord and let him clear the path. Let him do whatever it takes. It may be bears coming out of the woods. Who knows? That's not for us to decide. Let's not be forcers. Let's not try to rig things. Let's trust on him and call out to him. You maybe are wondering why the freaking bears. It's a weird thing. Let me give you a pro tip when you're studying the Bible. If there's a weird word or phrase you don't understand, you do what you call a word study. And you say, okay, this word is bear. Where, where's, where bear referenced you know, anywhere else in scripture? You have to look because maybe they're, maybe they're associated with something or they have a certain flavor or a context. Maybe I'm missing it. So you got to do a word study of bear. Can I give you like the nerdiest word in the planet? This is for the, there's like two or three of y'all are like super nerds. There's a phrase called Hapax Legomenon. And it sounds like a Harry Potter spell. And all that means is that's a word that's only in the Bible once. This isn't one of those words. So many words in the Bible are recycled and reused, and it's used here and here and here. And when you come across a concept, you don't just say, what does this mean? You say, how else is God using that? Let me show you how interconnected scripture is. Check out this image. This is an image. The beginning is Genesis. All the way down here is Revelation. First book of the Bible and the last. Each little line is a reference to another book in the Bible. A concept, a word, a phrase, an idea. Look how interconnected God's word is. Isn't that beautiful? It's a work of art, as if we'd expect anything else. This is how interconnected God's word is. And so when you come across an idea that doesn't seem to fit, you're probably right, it doesn't. You're probably reading it wrong or going about it the wrong way. Let's look at the last mention of bears in Scripture. There was this time of David versus Goliath. Have you ever heard of this story? This little shepherd boy is going, to get, is going up against this big warrior. And the warrior has a shield and a sword. And the little shepherd boy, he, doesn't even, he hasn't been to battle. He doesn't even have a sword. He's got five stones and a little sling to throw him. This is when bears are mentioned. This is right before that battle of David and Goliath. Follow along with me. It says, but David said to Saul, the king, he says, your servant was tending his father's 
sheep. He's talking in the third person. I was sending my father's sheep. When a lion or bear, there it is, came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from its mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Here's what's happening. David was a shepherd, all right? Elisha was a farmer. We see that he was a farmer. He had oxen, we know that. David's whole life, bears were a pest. They were a nuisance. They were annoying. They would show up and he would say, God, not again. And for his entire life, you know what he did? He was killing bears, hitting bears, tackling bears, throwing rocks at bears, all in his mind for nothing. And this huge moment of faith came when he has the opportunity to go against a giant. And he says, what? You know what, God? If you're by my side, I'll go. I'll fight him. And right when he's about to do so, he says, oh my God. You know what's been training me for this my, me, my, my entire life? It was those bears. It was those lions. I thought God hated me. I thought I was praying night after night, God, take these bears away. God, I don't want to see a bear today. God keeps showing them up. But God, God wasn't torturing you. God is training you. You don't know what's coming around the corner. You don't know what Goliath is coming. You don't know what battle is looming. Bears are this. Bears are the thing that threaten your life, that threaten your well-being, your resources. Remember, David was a shepherd. Elisha was a farmer. Bears were a constant threat of your well-being, your resources, your finances. But God used bears to train David for the battles that are ahead. Without the bears, David never beats Goliath. Without the bears, Elisha never gets to the top of the hill. Without the bears in your life, you're not beating Goliath either. Without the bears in your life, you're never getting to where God's calling you to go either. It's all a part of his plan. Don't you see it? God will send bears to grant you a victory, not only a victory, but God might use past troubles to clear a path. He might do that. God might use bears to make a way. Did you know there might be something in your life There might be something in your life right now that you've regarded as a pest, a nuisance, a waste, a hindrance. Those things in your life, the bears, that's what we're calling them. These things that threaten your marriage, that cause you to lose sleep, that keep you on edge, that stress you out. Financial stuff, business decisions, past sins, car accidents, struggles with infertility. Could it be that God in his sovereignty could use these bears to build your character? to strengthen your resolve, to make you tough, to prepare you to do what he's calling you to do, to prepare you to be who he's calling you to be. Could it be possible? Could it be possible? And when you least expect it, in a different stage of life, God might call that thing out of complete nowhere, not to hinder you, not to slow you down, not to stop you, but to open a door for you. Don't miss what's happening here. Don't miss what's happening here. David, went up against these bears. Elisha, whole life, they're going up against these bears and they're thinking, God, why are you sending me this? Some of y'all were praying for something this morning. Some of you were praying for something last night. You're saying, God, can't you take that thing away? Can't you get rid of that? Can't I go for a day without having that thought, having that guilt, having that sin, having that shame, having this struggle? God, can't I just go for a day? I think David prayed that all the time. God, can't you get the bears out of my life? And God said, no. He said, no. He said, no, David, you need them. 
Now, how can I possibly, and think about this for a second. Imagine if you had a life, a career where bears would just come at you out of the blue. You would say, how, God, could you possibly work through that? What could you possibly do now or in the future? What could you be doing in my life through this? This is annoying. This is the pest. This is a hindrance. But God has a plan. I wanted to ask you, what are the bears in your life right now? What are they right now that you are praying for God to remove, but he won't do it? He won't flinch. You know why? Because if he took them away, you wouldn't be Goliath. If he took them away, you'd get beat up by a bunch of teenagers. You'd never go where God was calling you to go. The bears are there for a reason. You might not find out about it till you're going up to Bethel, but they are there for a reason. It took that moment where David was staring down Goliath and he realized, oh my God, I've got these stones I've got this sling. Do you know how many bears I've used for target practice in my life? Some of y'all are playing target practice right now. You don't know for what. You have no idea what's coming, but God's training you for something. He's working on your aim. He's working on your strength. He's working on your patience. He's working on your grace. He's working on your relationship. And you say, God, why won't the struggle go away? You'll find out later. There will be a day you will stare a giant in the face just like David did. There will be a day you'll be staring up at Bethel and there'll be an angry mob between you and where God's calling you to go. And you are going to realize, oh my God, that thing from my past is coming back. Not to slow me down, not to hinder me, but that thing is actually going to clear away from me. That's what bears do. That's what bears are. I don't have time to cover the scripture, but Elisha had another struggle. You see, he has all this outside pressure from this mob, this crowd of kids coming at him. He has this outside pressure. There was also an inward pressure. See, he was a prophet and he led this group of prophets, but they, he was new. They didn't quite respect him yet. They didn't quite listen to him. He said, let's do this. They said, nah. They said, hey, why don't we make this move? And they said, nah, I don't quite think so. Have you ever doubted if God was behind you? Have you ever doubted if God was actually calling you to something? Maybe it's to motherhood. Maybe it's to fatherhood. Maybe it's that career change. Have you ever doubted that he was with you, that he was there all along? I wanted to tell you, God will use bears to clarify your purpose. God will use bears to confirm your calling. If Elisha was doubting as he walked up that hill and these kids are coming at him, if he was doubting, God, are you with me in this? Is there a plan for my life? Is this even real? If he was doubting it before, he isn't now. Through the unconventional, he realized, oh my God, God is actually with me. Not only is he with me, he's been with me the whole time. You might have some doubts. If I go to church, am I going to get burned? If I start giving, am I going to be able to pay my bills? If I, if I step out and join a group or, or, or join a team or get, you know, get involved, am I going to be let down somehow? If you trust him in obedience, he will send the bear. He will send things out of the blue to show you you are on the right path, that he is with you, that he is still providing for you. Often God works in a whisper. It's quiet. It's subtle. It's small. But every once in a while, baby, you'll be marching to where God's calling you to march, and he will send the bears. Something big, some flashy, some kind of aggressive. You say, wow, God is the God of the small whisper and of the bear. That's who he is. That's what he does. And he's got your back. We'll close with this, verse 25. It says, and he went onto Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. He he went on. Somebody say he went on. He moved on. His path was blocked and it no longer was. You need to know this. Elisha didn't call the bears. 
He didn't call the bears. When he needed it most, the bears came out of freaking nowhere. He was just being obedient. He was just listening. So you need to realize this. You don't need to worry. You need to realize when you most need it, if you call out to God, he will send exactly what you need to clear your path. Exactly what you need to send you on your way. If you were going to the place God led you and to the place God is calling you, despite the negativity, despite the criticism, despite the haters, despite all that, God will send the bears. God will make a way. If there's one thing I want you to take from this is that God works through some pretty crazy circumstances. With 99 for the one, with this church, he works through things you might not expect. It's like God is saying with the story, hey, you can't hold me down. You can't peg me. You can't say, well, God, you should be doing this. And I know some of y'all in this room right now, you're saying, God, you should be doing this. I should be married. We shouldn't be living here. We should be on that deployment or we should be this or we should be that. I should have done this. We're telling God how to act. It's almost as if God is saying right here, you can't control me. You can't peg me. You can't put me in a box. I will be who I'm deciding to be. God works through the strange. He works through the awkward. Did you know thousands of years later, Jesus Christ, who was the incarnate son of God, he lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. He died on our behalf. He took upon the sin of the whole world and died so that we may have access to the father. But something unconventional happened with him too. They expected him to come and reign to be Lord forever, to be this military hero. Do you know what ended, what, what happened with him? He ended up on a cross. On a cross? He's supposed to be the savior. He's supposed to never die. He's supposed to reign forever. He's supposed to be the eternal king and he's dead. How does that work? How does that work? What breaks my heart, y'all, is do you know how many people stopped believing in God because of the cross? Do you know how many people looked upon that and said, what good could God possibly do through that? How could God possibly work good through that? How could he possibly help anyone or save anyone through that? Y'all, God works in the unconventional. God is so unconventional, he took a symbol of torture and death, the cross, and he has made it a symbol of our life, our hope, and our freedom. That's what our God does. He doesn't work how you think he's going to work. He does whatever he's going to do. We must trust him. We must know he's good. And we must realize if we're following up on, if we're following the path, if we are going where he has called you and me to go, he has the power, the ability, and the will to clear a path for us. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.